Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 112 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want us to discuss the extravagant love and forgiveness of our God. Let's dive in. Over the last four weeks, we've been talking about the significance of sin and the need for us to not only seek forgiveness and repentance at the foot of the cross, but also to extend forgiveness and seek reconciliation with the people around us. Now, if you haven't listened to the last several episodes, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to these messages about the downfall of David and then his restoration and redemption, and then the power to forgive and the power to reconcile. These are such tremendous, important messages for our lives today, because so oftentimes we just kind of, we live with these hurt and these pains, but then we kind of, well, I'll just deal with them or we hide them. And we just go on with our lives without actually dealing with these issues. And it's amazing that if you don't deal with these areas of unforgiveness, that it really, it leaves an open door to the enemy in our lives. That it's like, if I don't forgive, well, according to scripture, God won't forgive me. So I must be willing to forgive and to seek reconciliation with the people around me. And I know that's painful and I know it's hard, but it is so important. Well, what I wanted to do today is kind of conclude this kind of mini series, if you will, on this idea of sin and forgiveness and reconciliation. In the discipleship school that I teach at, one of the sessions that I'll often teach is a message called extravagant forgiveness. And it's this idea that God has extravagantly forgiven us and therefore calls us to extravagantly forgive. Now, I use the illustration that Eric uses back in that message on power to forgive, which was two episodes ago. So what I did is instead of having you listen to the whole message, I'm kind of giving you just a piece of it. And so that we're jumping in about halfway through into the message. So again, it's kind of building upon this concept that we've been talking over the last couple of weeks. So again, if you haven't listened to those previous messages, I would highly encourage you to do so, even though they are a bit long, they really are just, they're such great and soul-stirring messages. So this is an audio of a message I gave this recent semester where I am talking about the extravagant forgiveness of God and what God is longing to do in and through our lives 
as believers. So without further ado, let's listen in to extravagant forgiveness. How has God forgiven us? Extravagantly. How are you called to forgive? Extravagantly. Interesting story. Matthew chapter 18, a phenomenal chapter. There's a passage that I'm pretty sure every single one of you have heard. And I'm fairly positive that you've always heard it wrong. I've heard very few people who actually understood this in context. And we're going to talk about context tonight in the saturation stuff. But this becomes really significant. You have to see scripture in light of context. Now, let me read you this passage, Matthew chapter 18. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained a brother. But if he will not hear, take, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you a heathen and a tax collector. I've heard this passage so many times. It's always in the context of church discipline, right? This person does something wrong. All right, we've got to handle this person. So what are we going to do? All right, you go to him and say, stop it. And he goes, Psst. all right. So we game a couple of the elders, and we all go, and we bang on his door and say, hey, look, you have gone some problems, and you better repent. And he's just like, Psst. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to get the whole church, and we're going to have a church meeting. And we're going to say, hey, hey, so-and-so is doing such and such. Repent. And he's going to say, Psst. we're say, fine, we're kicking you out of the church. And how are we going to treat him? Like a heathen and a tax collector. That's how, I've, that's how I've heard this passage. And I guess most of you probably heard that way too. Now, maybe not quite so severe. <laughs> but isn't that how we treat this whole thing? Someone does something, and you're like, okay, I'll go to you and you know, see if you respond. If you don't respond, I'll bring a friend. If I don't respond, I'll bring all the church. And... Do you know what the context for this passage is? The verses that come right before it is about this shepherd. And the shepherd has this whole flock of sheep. And one of the sheep runs off. Do you know what the shepherd does? He doesn't go, well, it's only one. I have 99 other ones. You know, it's just 1%, not a big deal. No, he he says, okay, uh, you look after these ones. And he goes and he searches after the one. He is desperate to get the one. And when he gets the one, whoa, there's a party. Why? Because, wow, well, I've, I've got to have all my sheep. That's the context. That's what comes right before this. And now Jesus says, oh, let me tell you. Someone sins against you. Go after him. And how am I to go after him? As a shepherd going after lost sheep. Here's this person. He sends causes all this chaos. Hey, dumps a whole bunch of manure. What should I do? Hey, I, I need to go and bang on his door, knees buckled, shoulders stoop, hat in my hand, tears in my eyes, and say, buddy, I don't know if you recognize this, but you are causing destruction. Not, not, just, in, not just in my life, but in your life. And, and hey, I, I'm desperate for restoration. I'm just desperate that you return. Hey, you, you desperately need Jesus. Hey, would you respond? And if he just says, Psst, eh, do you know what you're to do? Grab a friend. Go down to his house, bang on his door, knees buckled, shoulders stoop, hat in your hand, tears in your eyes. And both of you are just pleading, saying, hey, I don't know if you recognize this, but you can't live this one any longer. This is causing problems. You, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't do this. And please, would you come to Jesus? And please, just change your life. And, and if he still just says, Psst, eh, whatever, do you know what you do? You get the whole church up on it. Create a little schedule. Every, every day, 
People go down the house, bring, bring casserole dish, bang on their door, knees buckle, shoulder stoop, hat in the hand, tears in the eyes, and the whole church is just pleading, please, you, hey, you've got to repent. You just got to change. Hey, you can't keep living this way. Hey, you've, hey you just can't, you can't do this anymore. You just, you've got to come to Jesus. Please come to Jesus. Now, if he says, Psst, I don't care. Now, do you have to remove them from fellowship? Sure. Of course you do. Why? Because if you're going to have that lifestyle and that attitude, you can't call yourself a Christian. So, hey, you're, you can't participate in the body of Christ if you're not repentant. So how are we going to treat you? Well, like a heathen and a tax collector. How do we treat heathens and a tax collectors? Don't we go down to their house, bang on their door, knees, buckle, shoulders, stoop, hat in the hand, tears in the eyes. Oh, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Come to Jesus. So this is not a cut you off and pss, burn, baby, burn. This is, hey, I, hey, the heart of a shepherd it's how I'm going to go after you. Hey with, with, hey, with tears in my eyes and my hat in my hand, I'm going to be busting down your door saying, hey, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And it's all in the context of a shepherd going after a lost sheep. Now, the very next passage after this one, Peter asks a question. <laughs> and I just think this is hilarious. Peter says, oh, Jesus, great, thank you for going over all this. Uh, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Woo! And I'm sure if I was there with Jesus, I would have seen Jesus like, woo, Jesus. Or I mean, oh, Peter, seven, seven times? You seven times? Woo, seven times. He goes, no, not seven times, but up to 70 times seven Oh, so Jesus is saying 490 times. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. In fact, this whole thing is a joke. I don't, know if, I don't know if you see the humor in this, but in that culture of, down in, of Peter's day, in that culture, you realize the pagan world, that Roman, Greek, pagan, Hellenistic world out there, the mindset was do unto others before they do unto you. Yeah, that was the mindset of the Romans. Romans. So one day I hear this rumor that Philip Hartman, oh, can you believe Philip Hartman? Philip Hartman is going to pop my tire. So what am I going to do? Well, before he has a chance to pop my tire, I'm going to sneak over and pop his tire. Yeah, do one to others before they do one to you. Now, coming out of the Old Testament, the Jewish mentality was do unto others as they do unto you. So I hear a rumor that Philip Hartman's going to pop my tire. Now, I'm not going to do anything yet, but I'm going to be watching. And the moment that Philip Hartman sneaks over and pops my tire, do you know what I'm going to do? Go over and pop his tire. Yeah. Do one others as they do unto you. Now, the rabbis of that day, the rabbi says, you know what? These are the scholars. You know, these are the teachers. This is, give them three times. So, hey, Philip Hartman comes over and he pops on my tires. I'll be like. He comes over and pops two of them. And I'm like. One more, buddy. Just do one more. Please, just do one more. He comes over and does a third one. Woo! Do what I'm going to do. Pop, pop, pop. I'll give you three times. So, think about this. Peter. Peter says, how many times should we forgive? Up to seven times. And my guess is, if you were in the crowd at that time, the whole crowd would be like, oh, seven. Yes, seven. 
I mean, the rabbis say three. I mean, could you imagine seven? That's like crazy. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus says, why are you counting? See, 490 is actually not the point. The point is, he's giving some crazy, and by the way, seven is a, is a number of fulfillment. It's, a, it's like a perfect number. So the fact that it's seven times 70 actually is really significant. But the idea here is not just, well, 490 times. So do you know what I do? I have this little notebook in the back of my pocket. And every time Philip does something to me, I do a tally mark. Now, when I get up to 439, I'll be like, watch out. Do you know what you're doing the whole time you're doing that? You're not living in forgiveness. Because when you're counting and you're stewing and you're keeping a record of it, that's not forgiveness. And what Jesus is saying is, quit counting. Why, why, why does it matter? How many times? Every time they come to you and ask for forgiveness, forgive them. By the way, Aren't you glad God doesn't count? That God's not sitting there up in heaven watching you with his binoculars? You didn't do your devotions this morning. (laughs) Do you think he's counting? No, folks. He is so faithful to forgive us of our sins and trespasses every single time. And if that is how he has forgiven us, that's how you are called to forgive. So get the flow and the progression. We have the shepherd going after a lost sheep. Hey, someone does something wrong. How are you to treat them? How are you to go after them? Well, you're to go after them just like a shepherd going after a lost sheep. Knees buckled, shoulders stoop, tears in your eyes, hat in your hand. Hey, you're to go after him. Well, how often should I do that? All the time. Why would you count? Now, Jesus concludes all this by telling a joke. You didn't think he told jokes. Jesus is actually hilarious. In fact, I'll give you some more of these tonight when we're talking, but he tells this parable, but it's not really a parable. It's actually a joke. It really is. And if you see it in light of the Jewish culture of the day, I, I have no doubt in my mind that when Jesus is talking, people are probably like sitting down, falling over, just belly laughing, thinking this is hilarious. Now, you probably, you've heard this. And my guess is none of you have been like, ah, ha, ha, that's hilarious. And I'm going to read it. And my guess, you're like, okay. <laughs> but this is a joke because it's all hyperbole. Now, I'll explain it in just one second, but listen to what Jesus says. This is the very next passage. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one, who, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, but he was not able to pay. So his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. 
But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till his debt should be paid. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked, which means evil, servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now, Jesus tells you the conclusion or the point. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. That's a strong story. But it is a joke. Uh, here's this servant, and the king calls in debts. And the king looks at the records and says, Servant, you owe me 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. And the servant says, King, oh dear king, uh, just have patience with me. The king says, No, you owe me a lot of money. I'm going to put you in prison, like debtor's prison. And you understand debtor's prison. You get a job at debtor's prison. But debtor's prison is interesting. We're going to give you $20 a day to work 16 hours a day. But, you know, you're living at the prison and you're eating our food, so we're going to take, it's going to cost you $15 a day, you know, to live at our prison. So really, I mean, you're making pennies. So, if, hey, if I could just work this off, I mean, I could, I could make a lot more money outside than I can in the debtor's prison. So the man says, no, 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 look, 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 please, 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 don't sell everything I have. Please, please don't just sell my wife and my children and myself in a debtor's prison. Hey, look, just give me some patience, give me some time, and I'll pay it all off. Do you know how much he owed the king? Now, listen to this. 10,000 was the largest number the Greeks used in calculations. I mean, that was their biggest number. It's like us saying gazillions. And you're like, that's not a number. It is now. <laughs> so 10,000 was the biggest number they had uh, in, in, in Greek. And talent was the largest amount of monetary value at the time. So in America, our biggest bill is the $100 bill, right? So it's that kind of an idea. So combining the two would be us, like using the term zillions. The debt owed was insurmountable. The value was meant to shock Jesus' listeners, and pale in comparison to the value of the 100 denarii. So, if you want to put it in modern day terms, this is, this is hilarious. One talent, one talent, was equal to 15 years worth of labor. And this man owed 10,000 talents. Now, I don't, I don't know what he did with all this money. Again, it's just a story, but... Do you see the hyperbole in this? This man owed 150,000 years worth of labor to the king. So do you see the ha-ha in the fact that when the king says, hey, you owe me 150,000 years of labor? Man's like, just have patience with me. I'll pay it all off. <laughs> Is that even possible? For you public school people, no! No, that, that is not... That was not possible, right? I mean, I might be able to get out 50 of those, right? 
maybe maybe 60 if, if I'm living a longer life, but hey, I'm, I'm not going to have 150,000 years worth of labor. So moved out of compassion, the king forgave that debt. An actual monetary, um, well, I'll give that to you in one second. The denarii with this servant refused to forgive was a denarii, which was a day's wage. So it was 100 days wage, which is 3.3 months. So he was forgiven 150,000 years of labor, but he refused to forgive 3.3 months. That's hyperbole. That's like, that's ridiculous. So in actual monetary uh, wages, the, U, the average U.S. income today is $52,000. I don't know who makes this, but apparently the average wage is $52,000 a year. Now, if you use that, times that by 150,000 years, this man owed $7.8 billion dollars. We're not talking Bill Gates, who is like, all right, I'll write a check. We're talking me, who's like, oh. I don't have that much in my bank account. In fact, I don't even have what the other guy owed. In fact, I don't even have a day's wage in my bank account, okay? So, isn't this interesting? And if you're, to put it another way, if the other servant owed him a $10 bill, he still owed the king $5.4 million dollars. I mean, do you see the difference between this? So think about what, what's being said here. The king says, hey, you owe me 150,000 years worth of labor. Hey, just give me some patience. Give me some patience. I'll pay it off. And the king, the king knows he can't do it. So out of compassion, forgives. Have you ever had debt and then paid off the debt? It's like you float. I remember when I first paid off my college debt, <clears throat> uh, I went out for ice cream. It was like the first time I could afford it. And I, that ice cream had never tasted better. It was the best tasting ice cream I had ever had in my life. It could have been any kind of ice cream. I didn't care. It was like, I'm debt free! Right? No doubt this servant felt that the way. To have 150,000 years of human labor just... Pfft, but then what did he do? He went out and found someone who just owed him a couple months of labor and says, hey, you owe me some money. Hey, have patience with me. I'll pay it off. Is that possible? Yes. And he said, no, I refuse. So he took that servant and threw him in a debtor's prison and sold all that he had. Now the fellow servants heard about this and went to the king and said, do you know what he just did? This guy owed him 10 bucks. And you just forgave him all this debt. And he threw him in a debtor's prison. He's going to be there for years because he's not going to make a lot of money to pay off this debt. And the king brings the servant in and says, you wicked servant. I forgive you of all that debt and look what you just did. And then Jesus gives the punchline. That's what my father's going to do to you if you refuse to give. Do you recognize that God has extravagantly forgiven you? That 150,000 years worth of human labor, is even that is so minuscule compared to what we deserve? Romans says that we are all sinners. We've all shaken our fists in God's face. We've all spat in his face. We've all declared our independence, and I want to do it my way, and we've lived in rebellion. And one little sin is enough to send us to hell for eternity. One little white lie was enough to send us to hell for eternity. And I don't know about you, 
but I've done more than a white lie. Do you know what I deserve? I deserve eternity in hell. And even eternity will not be long enough to pay my punishment. And yet, while I was a sinner, while I was the enemy of God, while I was shaking my fist in his face, do you know what he did? Christ died for me. That I was in rebellion. I, I, I was an enemy of the state. And I was, I was blatantly mocking him and living my own way. And in, that, in the middle of that, he says, I'm still going to die for you. And while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Do you know how the only word I know how to use is extravagant? Because that truly is extravagant. Listen to this. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And you realize that in the true sense, if you throw something perfect east, it'll never hit west. In other words, he has totally thrown it so far away, it'll never, it'll never reconnect. Isaiah 38, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. In other words, God has taken my sin, thrown it behind his back, basically saying, I'm not going to look at it. Isaiah 43, I, even I, says the Lord, am he who blots, which means wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, says the Lord, and I will not remember your sins. Nehemiah 9. Oh, you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you have not forsaken us, says Nehemiah. Daniel 9.9 says, To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, even though we have rebelled against him. Micah 7 says, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of of the sea. I love what Corey Tim Boom says about this verse. She says, the Lord has cast all your sins into the depths of the sea, and then he posts a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Do you recognize how much God has forgiven you? Do you realize how much he has loved you? It truly is extravagant. And do you recognize that the people around me will never hurt me as much as I have already hurt him? Hey, they will never dump enough manure in my garden as much as I have caused manure in his garden. So if he is willing to forgive me of all my sin and all my transgression and all of my pollution and my junk, what right do I have? I've been forgiven 150,000 years worth of labor. Actually, it's an eternity of torture. And me and my arrogance and my pride, I march out into my world and I grab someone by the throat and say, hey, I refuse to forgive you. That is... How do you you unpack that? How do you even understand that? I mean, if we truly saw all that God has done in our life, you couldn't be depressed. Could you? 
If you began to recognize that I deserve eternity in hell and all, and hey, while I was shaking my fist in his face, he forgave me. Don't you think if I began to realize his overwhelming love and what he has done to forgive me, you couldn't push me down? Doesn't matter what life throws after me. I'm just going to be skipping along going, woo, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Woo. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just float everywhere you go? Wouldn't you just smile all the time? Do you know how you're called to live? You are called to live in forgiveness. And as Ephesians says, as he has forgiven you, so you are to forgive others. And how has he forgiven you? Extravagantly. How are you to forgive others? May I remind you that the Lord has extravagantly loved and forgiven us, and he longs to extravagantly love and forgive through us. So don't merely be a, a person who's kind of sucked into himself saying, I'm not, I don't want to extend this out, but allow the life and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God to flow through you to the people around you. Well, thanks for listening. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 112 for episode 112. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around the extravagant love and life of Jesus Christ.